good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you meet me in 1 Kings chapter 17? 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8 through verse 16 is where we'll be in, in God's word together this morning. Um, I'm Evan. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. and so glad to be able uh, to be in God's word together this morning. If this is your first time with us, uh, we've been in a sermon series on the life of Elijah. Uh, Elijah's life is uh, very striking to me. Uh, as you look at his life and his ministry, you, you see God's people in a season of destitution and rebellion. And it, it highlights something really important for us in the Christian faith, this tension of mankind and creation with the Lord. Because um, the Bible talks about uh, what we often call the fall, but the Bible never actually uses the term the fall. For those of us who are Christians in the room, we might be familiar with the categories of creation, fall, redemption, consummation, or restoration. And uh, those are helpful categories to understand God's grand story uh, from Genesis to Revelation. But the Bible doesn't actually use the term the fall. A more accurate term from the Bible is a term like curse uh, or rebellion. Uh, this world is not just fallen. It's cursed. And we ha have not just fallen away. We, we have rebelled. Not passive. We, we actively rebel against God. And as we see Elijah and God's people over the next several weeks, I think it's a helpful challenge for us to consider how, how, how do we find hope? How do we find hope in a cursed, rebellious world that seems to be spiraling downward? So that's what we'll consider this morning. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we read 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked only a handful of flour and a jar and a little oil and a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. 
And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. How long, O Lord? How long? Lord, this is a heavy season. I, I feel my, my frailty. But Lord, thank you that you gird us up by your mercy and your grace. And so it is it's not I that gets to determine fruitfulness from this message, Lord. It is solely determined by you and your Holy Spirit and your mercy towards me. So, Lord, I ask, let your mercy flow through me. And that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever struggled to feel hope? You wouldn't necessarily call yourself hopeless, but you wouldn't say you're, you're hopeful either. Uh, ha- have you ever felt like that? W.E.B. Du Bois would, would call that feeling unhopeful. He experienced a lot of feeling unhopeful in his life. He, he reflected on this particularly when his son was born. In the early years of the 20th century, America was not a very hopeful place. Jim Crow laws were in full effect, marginalizing and disenfranchising black people. Domestic terrorism was mounting as black folks were being lynched by white supremacists. On top of all that, tensions between nations were escalating to a point that would eventually lead to the First World War. W.E.B. Du Bois would reflect on these tragedies around him as he welcomed his little black son into the world. His words are, are noteworthy as they acknowledge what many of us feel in this tension of tragedy and yet trying to not succumb to despair. He says something very simple. My son was born to a hope, not hopeless, but unhopeful. What Du Bois was acknowledging in this statement is that when he looked around, he, he found very little reason to hope, even though the souls of black folks are resilient. He was unhopeful. Do you know what it's like to, to feel unhopeful? Uh, maybe you're in a marriage and it feels forgotten or stuck. Maybe you're a student and you're walking across campus and you feel aimless, purposeless. Maybe you're wrestling with mental health struggles and you don't see the progress that you think you should have in your life. Maybe you wake up day after day and go to a job and it just feels hollow. Maybe you're here in church and you're going to church because it's a good thing to do. But there's no real hope that anything can happen here. 
You're just unhopeful. What do you do when you're in that spot? The people of God often struggled with feeling unhopeful. They, they struggle to find hope in unhopeful times. That's part of what it means to live in a cursed world. In 1 Kings, it's, it's hard not to read through the book and, and not feel hope dwindling with every king. By the time we get to chapter 17, King David has been dead for about 100 years, and every subsequent king after him has plunged the moral economy of Israel further down. Israel splits into two kingdoms. By the time we get to the life of Elijah, King Ahab is the corrupted king of the northern kingdom. In the midst of moral erosion, injustice, idolatry, the Lord raises up prophets to to call the people back to him, back to his word. Elijah was one of those prophets. He's trying to get the attention of, of a people that have rebelled yet again against their God. They lost hope in him. That, that's really the issue. King Ahab refuses to put his hope in Yahweh the Lord. He'd rather put his hope in, in Baal, the pagan god of his wife Jezebel. And in that rebellion, Elijah pronounces a drought. In the land, in verse 1, the land is cursed. We find out later that this curse lasts over three years. No rain. The land becomes hard and dry. The crops wither and fail. The food has grown scarce. The brooks and streams have evaporated, and the Lord is trying to get their attention. As we'll see, they, they continue to spiral downward. But we see Elijah. Elijah represents the remnant of people that have remained faithful to the Lord. And in chapter 17, we we see how the Lord remains faithful to his people. He, He still gives them hope in unhopeful times, and we see this in the most meager and unexpected circumstances. Elijah meets a widow. And in this exchange, we we see a few things about the Lord that that helps us find hope in in unhopeful times. We we see the Lord's reach. We we see the Lord's restoration, and we see the Lord's reign. The Lord's reach. We see in verse 9, the Lord tells Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. And just stop right there, because we already start to see the Lord's reach in that, don't we? Zarephath in Zidon is a land outside of Israel, and that's a big deal in the Old Testament. One of the signs of the Lord's faithfulness and presence to his people in the Old Testament was the land. But the Lord does not send Elijah to a widow within Israel. And we see why when Jesus talks about this story in Luke chapter 4, 25 and 26, when he says, But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. 
The people in this story, they respond to Jesus by wanting to kill him. Why? Because he's bringing an indictment on them because they refuse to receive Jesus' words just as the people in 1 Kings refused to receive Elijah's words. And the Lord sends Elijah away from Israel, away from his chosen people. He bypasses them and he sends him to the oddest of characters, a widow. A widow was among the most marginalized in society. And this widow was likely in an even worse position because we see her out working by herself. Her son maybe was back home. Perhaps he was too young or perhaps he was too sick, as we would see later in the chapter. But it's this widow that Elijah is called to. And the Lord introduces her in an interesting way. Did you see it in verse 9? The Lord says, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. The Lord has actually commissioned this outsider, this weak, helpless woman for his purposes. He sees her. He sees her. Isaiah 59, 1 says, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save or his ear too dull to hear. The Lord's reach spans to the most unlikely person. And that's good news to somebody that's just wondering, does the Lord really care about me in unhopeful times? Does he see me struggling with my purpose? Does he see me struggling with my loss and grief? Can he reach me in all of this? But if the Lord can reach this woman, he can surely reach you. But we don't just see the Lord's reach, we also see the Lord's restoration. Elijah begins the conversation with this woman by asking for water. But then, in verse 11, he asks for a little morsel of bread. How does she respond in verse 12? As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. I love it. She said, as real as your God is, that's how real that I ain't got nothing. And, and, and she says, I, I have little flour and little oil. And she says in verse 12, I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. What an unhopeful statement. This widow is preparing her last meal. What little food she has, she's preparing for her and her son as they prepare for starvation, likely as a result of the drought that was pronounced by Elijah. In verse 13 and 14, Elijah assures this widow. He says, do not fear. This portion of flour and oil will not run out until the, the Lord sends rain. This is a moment of restoration for this woman who seems pretty resigned to death by starvation. And it seems like such a small thing, doesn't it? I mean, the Lord could have done something truly astonishing for this widow, but he is simply maintaining the portions that she has to sustain her and her son. Sometimes the Lord enters in and just sustains the portions that we have. That's hope. 
and unhopeful times. And in this dystopian moment where there is great strife, the Lord keeps the flour and the oil going. And, and here's why that would be a big deal to her, even though that's not a big deal to some of us. It's a big deal to her because she knows that she does not deserve it. Widows were not entitled to anything. Certainly, in a famine, no one would be thinking about how to keep this woman and her family afloat. But Elijah blesses this woman with a jar that is never spent, and oil that will never be empty. What we see here is mercy. It reminds me of, of Judge Donald McDonald. Uh, he was in the news from some time ago. On any given Friday, this judge, he handles roughly 150 landlord-tenant disputes. Now, on one particular Friday, there was a middle-aged deaf couple before him, and they were facing eviction because they fell behind on their rent, $250. The landlord was insistent on a judgment against this couple. Judge McDonough abruptly left the courtroom, returning momentarily with two $100 bills and a $50 bill in his hand. And he said, consider it paid, as he leaned over the bench and handed his own money to the landlord's lawyer, shocked and in awe. And the reason why this, news, this was newsworthy is because no one would have felt entitled to an act like that from the judge, especially if you're guilty. The Bible says, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks after God. But thanks be to God that he is rich and in mercy and lavishes it upon us. The Lord restores. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. I know I need fresh mercy every day. And what I love about God is that he always has more mercy than we have mess. Oh, somebody missed that. I said, I love that God always has more mercy than we have mess. He's able to restore any mess. Matthew 5, 45 tells us that he reigns on the just and the unjust, and the mercy of that is highlighted in the fact that he is a judge in a courtroom where everybody is guilty and yet he wants to fit the bill. Lastly, the Lord reigns. He is the reigning king. This point is, is really the point of the entirety of, of Elijah's life. Over and over again, what you will see as we continue to see Elijah working is Elijah is serving and proclaiming God's words. And, and you never see the Lord stressed out. You never get the sense that the Lord feels overwhelmed. Even Elijah at times gets a little stressed out here and there, but, but never the Lord. He is secure as creator and Lord. And, and there's many places we could point to, even in this story, to display that, but I'll just mention a couple things. Uh, we see the Lord's reign almost immediately in this story when he tells Elijah to go to Zarephath and Sidon. How so? Well, uh, we, we know the big issue with King Ahab is that he is worshiping another god, which is a big no-no. 
One very clear commandment is you shall not have any other gods before Yahweh. Ahab didn't listen to that, and he worshiped Baal, the god of his pagan wife. And we learn in chapter 16 that Jezebel is from the land of Sidon. And that Zarephath is a capital city of Sidon. <laughs> God is funny. So, so the Lord, he tells Elijah to go to the very heart of Baal's territory to do amazing things there. That he, he, he does the, the miraculous. <laughs> we see the Lord's reach and his restoration in a place where he should not have jurisdiction. But he comes and he takes over. And he takes over with the rain because Baal is supposed to be a god of rainfall. Because the Lord reigns over all, that actually includes this Gentile pagan widow. Psalm 115 highlights the the fruitlessness of worshiping idols. It says, they have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. And we see over and over again the people of God being lured away by lesser gods like in Jeremiah 5. Where he says, hear, O foolish people, who have eyes but cannot see and ears but do not hear. They become like their idols. And Jesus picks up this language in the Gospels, in particular Matthew's Gospel, when he is going to the lost sheep of Israel. What does it mean to find hope in unhopeful times? It starts with turning, it starts with not turning to hopeless things. There is no God like our God. We must go to the reigning king if we want to overcome what feels like is overcoming us. Andre Crouch said it well. He said, I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There's been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave me blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. And then he says, through it all, I'm preaching to myself now, through it all, I have learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all, I've learned to trust in God. I've learned to depend upon his word. That's what it means to look to the Lord. That's what it means to find hope in unhopeful times. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. In this story, we we see the Lord's reach, his restoration, and his reign. And for those in unhopeful times, we must grab on to these if we really want to find hope. In his book, A Hidden Wholeness, Parker Palmer shares a story about farmers in the Midwest who were trying to survive through blizzards. These farmers would be, they would tie a rope from the back door of their house out to the barn as a guide to help make it back and forth safely. These blizzards were were fierce and tempestuous, and Palmer talks about how many farmers would die in the blizzard. They were often so fierce that that farmers couldn't even see their hand, let alone the rope. 
So if they let go, it was very dangerous. Some would wander in circles, disoriented by the blistering cold and harsh winds. Some would die within feet of their own back door. They never realized how close they were to safety because they let go of the rope. Brothers and sisters, finding hope in unhopeful times means never letting go of the rope. When the storms of life blast us and disorient us, we hold on to the Lord and his word because he will lead us to safety for he is our hope. But here's the better news that that, that no other God can say. He does not abandon us if we lose hold of the rope. Jesus' finished work on the cross ensured that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from his love. So we press on to make it our own because Christ Jesus has made us his own. That is what it means to find hope in unhopeful times. May it be so that we would find it in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, your word says that you give us a sure and steadfast hope that is an anchor for our soul. Lord, we confess that we don't actually feel very anchored in our souls right now. The harsh winds have come. The circumstances are are tempestuous and blasting some of us. And Lord, we, we struggle to hold on. Struggle to be faithful. Thank you, Lord, that you remain faithful when we're faithless. Lord, would you remind our hearts of your nearness, of your reach, of your restoration and your reign. In Jesus' name, amen.